if you haven't noticed yet, there are quite a few people missing this morning. Pastor Rusty and Miss Vicki are on their way to Red River this morning. Um, they had to go down a few days early because his doctor suggested that he gets used to the rise in elevation since he had heart surgery a couple of months ago. The doctor just wanted to be on the safe side that the elevation wouldn't affect his heart. Um, Kurt and Megan, along with the Birkenfelds, are also in Red River today. So I will be preaching this morning for the first time. Well, second time because I did it first service. So. <laughs> um, so about a month ago, I started reading the book of Ruth, and it really ministered to me. I studied the book inside and out, and I read it like I had really never read the book of a Bible um, a book in the Bible before. So I had a lot of different revelations while reading it. And when I finished studying it, God told me to prepare a message to preach on the book of Ruth. And I'm going to be honest, I straight up told God, I was like, um, I'm not preaching on the book of Ruth. I said, you are crazy if you think Kurt is going to call me and ask me to preach. Okay. So I was at my house one day and Kurt sent me a text. He said, can you talk? And I text him back. Yeah. So he calls me. And the first thing he says is I'm about to tell you something and you can't tell mom. And I'm like, okay, you know, that's never a good sign. I'm thinking Pastor Rusty and Kurt bought a $40,000 boat and mom's going to be so mad. Right. And instead he tells me I had Lonnie Robb set up to preach in two weeks and he has a work event that's going to come up the night before and he can't, he's not sure if he'll make it back in time. So I have no one to preach. And if you tell mom, she's going to flip out. And I was like, okay, thinking, what does this have to do with me? Right. And then he said, I just had a feeling that I should call you and ask you if you wanted to preach. And I was like, oh, like what? So I started trying to think of everybody else that could replace me. I'm like, well, what about Bebo Ramirez? And he's like, no, he's going to be out of town that weekend. And I'm like, what about Greg Birkenfeld? He's like, no, he'll be in Red River with us. I'm like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, you're sure Lonnie Rob can't make it back? And he's like, well, it, it may be running late. He could or he could not. And Lonnie Rob's sitting here this morning, so I have a bone to pick with him. No, he, he didn't make it to the first service, so we were good. So um, I told him, I was like, okay, I'll just preach on the book of Ruth. And so if you are here this morning, you are meant to hear this message, and apparently I was meant to preach this message. So let's pray before we get started, and then we're going to dive right into the message. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that you speak through me, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit guides me this morning. I just want to thank you for this opportunity, Lord. I pray over Pastor Rusty and Miss Vicki as they drive to Red River this morning that your angels surround them and you cover them, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Okay. So let me set the scene for this story. There are four main characters in the book of Ruth. There is Elimelech, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. And Elimelech and Naomi live in Bethlehem with their two sons, Malon and Kilion. Now, I'm a lot like my dad, and I really like the different meanings of names. So I looked up the meanings of their name, and it's pretty amazing how their names, the meaning of their names reflect on the story. Elimelech means my God is king. Naomi means pleasant or sweet. Ruth means companion or friend. And Boaz means strength. Now, Naomi and Elimelech are an Israelite family who live in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem means house of bread. So they live in Bethlehem. They believe in God. They serve God. But there's another town nearby, and it's called Moab. Now, Moab was not the place to live, okay? In Genesis 19, it explains that Moab was started by an incest relationship um, between two daughters and their father. And I decided not even to read those verses because it's kind of graphic. If you think the Old Testament is boring, you, 
go read it. It's crazy. And so in Moab, they're serving false gods. They're, uh, there's prostitutes. They're building idols. Married men are sleeping with women. So this Israelite family leaves the land of God and moves to Moab. So we're going to read chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, to find out what happens. It says, In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Elimelech. Gosh, there's already such a good message just in the first five verses of this book. Okay, so what's interesting is Elimelech's name means my God is king. But he didn't trust God enough to stay in Bethlehem. Instead, he picks up his family and he moves to Moab because he doesn't think God will provide for them during the famine. Now, we've all been Elimelech, right? I had a friend call me. She was in a relationship with this guy that was not a healthy relationship. And she called me saying that she thinks she might break up with this guy. And I'm like, yes. So I, like, pray over her. I'm like, I pray the Holy Spirit opens her eyes. I pray the Holy Spirit guides her and tells her what she should do. So she calls me back, and she said that she broke up with this guy. And she started dating the guy fairly quickly after that. Um, it didn't last very long. They didn't jive well, so they broke up. And then she was alone and by herself. And she called me back and she was like, I think I'm going to go back to the first relationship, the unhealthy relationship. And in my head, I was thinking, are you going to go back to Moab where there's heartache and depression and loss of life and destruction and disappointment? Or are you going to stay in Bethlehem and trust God and have faith and know that he has a good plan for you, right? That he's going to bring a husband that is a man of God that will pray for you, that will take you to church and treat you the right way. Or do you go back to Moab back to your old disappointment, right? That goes for all of us. What about that job that you have that you're away from your family all the time? You don't think it's where God wants you to be. So you leave and then your finances are a disaster. You don't have anything else lined up. Do you go back to Moab and go back to the death and the destruction and disappointment? Or do you stay in Bethlehem and trust and have faith that God's going to bring you in the next job? Or what about that prayer that you've been praying for a long time? And God's not answering that prayer. And maybe you just quite frankly believe that he's not going to answer that prayer. Do you pack up all your stuff and move to Moab and say, I'm going to take care of this on my own and go live in the land of disappointment? Or do you stay in Bethlehem and trust God and have faith and know that he has a good plan for you? Right? I face this every single month when I get a negative pregnancy test and there's one more month I'm not pregnant, right? I yell at Arthur in the other room and I'm like, babe, we're moving to Moab. And he's like, what? And so I get my suitcase out, right? I open it. I put my disappointment in there. I put my depression in there. I put my anger. I put my loss because I can't leave that in Bethlehem, right? I got to take all that with me. So I pack up. I put it on my back. I stack it up. I'm all loaded down, right? And I'm, I'm walking to Moab. And then here comes Arthur creeping in the car, right? And he rolls down the window. He's like, and he's like, Ashley, get back in the car. We're going back to Bethlehem. And I'm like, nope, I'm not. I'm going to Moab. And he's like, 
Ashley, get back in the car. We're going back to Bethlehem where we're going to trust God and have faith and know that he has a good plan for us. And now I'm going to be honest. Amen, right? I'm going to be honest. I might stomp my feet and throw a fit and cry, but then I get back in the car and I go back to Bethlehem. Now, sometimes Arthur can't convince me to get back in the car, and he has to send my dad to come get me in the car. Or sometimes my life group girls have to come and get me back in the car. Megan's convinced me many a times to get back in the car and go back to Bethlehem, right? That's why it's so important that we come into this building every week and we encourage each other, right? And we tell each other, don't go to Moab. You got to stay here and go to Bethlehem. You got to stay here and have faith and trust God and not go live in Moab. I heard somebody say once that Elimelech traded three funerals for one famine. He traded three funerals for one famine. I want to ask you, what one problem are you trading for death, disappointment, and destruction? What one problem are you moving to Moab for? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to go live in the land of death and destruction and disappointment for your one problem? I want to encourage you, if you are walking to Moab, or if you are living in Moab, or maybe you're living in a high-rise condo in downtown Moab, I want to encourage you to pack up your stuff and move back to Bethlehem, okay? Tell your neighbor I'm moving back to Bethlehem. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking. You're thinking, Ashley, we're all Christians in here. We all live in Bethlehem. Nobody lives in Moab, okay? Let me tell you, that's not true, okay? You can be on the front row, praising Jesus, serving God, helping in the nursery, on the pulpit, and still live in Moab, right? You live in Moab in your heart, okay? My dad had every right to move to Moab. When he was in the hospital having heart surgery, his brother dies in a tragic plane crash. He gets the call that he's going to miss the funeral, right? He had every reason to pack up his stuff and move to Moab. You know what's dangerous about moving to Moab? When you move to Moab, you don't just move there by yourself. Usually you take your spouse with you. You take your kids with you. I've seen grandparents take their grandkids with them. When my dad had heart surgery, I was not afraid of the heart surgery. I knew God would take care of that. I was afraid that my dad might move to Moab, right? I was afraid that he might be so heartbroken and disappointed and discouraged and have so much fear that he would just pack up his stuff and move to Moab. So you can't serve God and live in Moab. You have to stay in Bethlehem. And what's dangerous about moving there is you take everybody with you. What's great is... I, I know people in this church that have been to Moab and went to Moab and took their family and brought them back here to Bethlehem, right? That's what we should be doing is going to Moab and getting our family out of there, getting our friends out of there, and coming back here to Bethlehem. Now, we're going to read verses 6 through 17, still in chapter 1 of Ruth. It says, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughter-in-laws got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go back to your mother's home, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. Okay, I want to stop right here. I want you to visualize this. I'm a reading teacher, so i got to throw some reading strategies out there. Um, 
they're coming back from Moab. They're on a long, dusty, dirt road. And Naomi tells the daughter-in-laws, go back to your mother's home. Go back to your old place. And it says that they all broke down and wept. If you can visualize this, the daughter-in-laws are clinging to Naomi. And this is a family that's been broken apart by tragedy. This would be like if Arthur died, Kurt died, and my dad died, right? Who would make me breakfast if my dad died, right? Like, that couldn't happen. So they have nothing. And so they're going, and she's like, go back to your family. And they tell her, no, we want to go with you to your people. And now we're in verse 11. It says, but Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' home for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. She tells them, there's no reason for you to go back to Bethlehem with me. I have no sons. I can't have any more sons. Even if I could, would you stay and wait for them to grow up and marry them? So she's pretty much saying, don't come home with me because I have nothing for you. It says in verse 14, and again they wept together. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. Now, this is where it gets good. Listen to how Ruth replies to her. She says, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Now, Ruth makes a decision right here to follow God. In this moment, Ruth trusts God more than Naomi does. She was used to serving false gods in Moab. She was used to living in a city of death and destruction, right? She was used to... Uh, living in a tormented city. But in this moment, she decides to move back to Bethlehem and serve God. She decides, I'm not going back to Moab. I'm not going back to my problems. I'm going to go to Bethlehem, to the land of the living, the land of blessing, the land of God. This simple decision is going to change her life. And let me tell you, your decision to move back to Bethlehem will change your life. In verse 18, it says, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi, the woman asked? Okay, so Naomi and Ruth are coming back into Bethlehem. And there's kind of a stir in the city. The women are all out on the town. And they're like, hey, isn't that our girl Naomi coming back into town, right? So they run up to her and they're like, hey, girl, how are you? We're so glad you're back. Welcome home. Listen to how she responds to them. She tells them. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? What I love in this moment about Naomi is she is so honest, right? She comes back to her people and she tells them. She doesn't come back saying, Glory to God, hallelujah, right? She's not 
posting on Twitter, hashtag blessed, right? She's coming back, and she's honest with her people, and she tells them, call me Mara, which means bitter. She, they, she pretty much tells them, call me an old bitter hag. God has taken everything from me, right? This is what's important about church. She came back to her people and were honest, right? We need to come into this place and be honest with each other when we're on our way to Moab, right? That's why some of us girls meet for life group every week, so we can be honest when we're on our way to Moab and encourage each other to come back to Bethlehem. It's easy to come in here. I see all you, right? People ask you, how was your week? Oh, it was great. I had such a blessed week, right? When really it was terrible and it was not good. So she comes back to her people, and she's honest with them and tells them that she has lost all hope, right? They have no men. They have no jobs. They have no money. They have no support. They have no land. Back then, the men took care of the women. So when they lost the men, they lost all of their support. They're now poor. Now, in verse 22, it says, So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. All she comes back with, all she's inherited is this barren Moabite woman. And you want to know what the girls in Bethlehem were doing when she came into town? There's a circle of girls in Bethlehem when she walks in, and they're all whispering to each other, and they're like, who is that girl Naomi brought into Bethlehem? Do you see what she's wearing? I hope she doesn't think she's going to come in here and steal the few good men we have left in Bethlehem. I don't know who she thinks she is. That's how they treated her, right? She was a foreigner. She was a nobody. So when she comes back, she has nothing. Now, this last verse in chapter 1, it says, They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of barley harvest. Now, what does barley harvest mean? It means that hope is on the horizon. It means the famine is gone, that a whole new season in Israel, and as we will see, it's going to be a whole new season in the life of Ruth and Naomi. A ray of hope is about to pierce through the darkness because Boaz is about to roll up on the scene. All right, let's jump into chapter 2, verse 1, and it says, Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. Now, remember, Boaz's name means strength, and he is described as a worthy man. He is a strong man, an upstanding man, a man who can battle, right? Mm. And the best news for all my single ladies out there is he's single. Hello. Now, I'm not talking about for me. My Boaz is sitting right over there on the front row. So this is the kind of man that I want my friends to marry. This is the kind of man I want my future sons to be. This is the kind of man I want to affirm in my life. Men worthy of respect, men worthy of trust, men worthy of imitation. This was Boaz. Now, I know what some of you guys are thinking. You're like, well, what about women worthy of trust? Or what about women worthy of imitation? I'm going to get there, okay? I'm... She's coming. Verse 2 says, One day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Now, we have two women that have no money and they're hungry. So Ruth asked Naomi if she can go gather grain behind the harvesters, and Naomi says to her, Yes, go ahead, my daughter-in-law. And during harvesting season, it tells us in Leviticus 19 that God told his people to set up a system where the poor could gather grain that was left behind on the edges of the field. So then the poor had an honest way to make some money or gather food. Now, 
I want you to picture this in your head, okay? The sun is blazing down. It's hot. There's dirt in the air. The smell in the air is musty and sweaty, right? Ruth throws her hair up into a messy bun. No makeup. She's wearing thin pieces of cloth to try and stay cool. And what does she do? She goes to work, okay? She doesn't expect bread to just fall from heaven. She gets busy and she goes to work. She isn't afraid to work with her hands. And in the midst of the harvest, Ruth doesn't realize it, but hope is on the horizon, right? You may be hopeless right now. You may be Naomi. You may have lost everything, but hope is on the horizon. Amen? All right, let's go verse two, chap- or chapter 2, verse 3 says, So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Now, what I love about this verse, it says, And as it happened... Other translations say, and it just so happened that she was working in Boaz's field. Almost like sarcasm, like wink, wink, right? The original reader would have realized what this meant, that it was not a coincidence that she ended up in Boaz's field. God put her in Boaz's field. The Holy Spirit guided her to Boaz's field. It just didn't so happen that she walks up on the field and gets lucky that she gets put into Boaz's field. Now, I don't have time to read all of chapter 2. I wish I did because there's so much in it. But as Ruth is working in Boaz's field, Boaz comes to Bethlehem to greet the harvesters. And he asks his foreman, he's like, who's that young woman over there? And the foreman tells him that she's the young woman um, from Moab who came back with Naomi. And the foreman tells Boaz what a hard worker she is. So Boaz goes over to her and tells her to only harvest out of his field. And that when she's thirsty, to help herself to any of the water that has been drawn from the well. And Boaz also tells his men not to give her a hard time. So Ruth falls to her knees and thanks him. And she asks him, what have I done to deserve this? So right from the beginning, Boaz is showing her grace. Now, When I read this verse, the Holy Spirit immediately ministered to me and said, when is the last time you fell to your knees and thanked Jesus for what he did for you? And I was like, oh, right? Like, oh, my gosh. She fell to her knees and thanked Boaz for giving her water and food and showing her grace. Jesus came from heaven and took on bone and flesh and died a gruesome death on the cross and shed blood to save us. When is the last time we really thanked Jesus for that? Now, I'm going to jump ahead to verse 12, and he's shown her grace already, and then he prays a prayer over her, and he says, May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. So he prays over her that she would be rewarded. He's impressed with her character, right? He's like, you need to be rewarded for... uh, committing yourself to Naomi and from coming into these fields and working. So he prays over her that God would bless her. So he's shown her grace and he's prayed over her. Now, verses 14 through 15, at mealtime, Boaz called to her, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with the harvesters and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. So now he is serving her. He's giving her food to eat. Shown her grace. He prays over her, and now he serves her. In verses 15 through 16, it says, When Ruth went back to work again, 
Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. So now he's showing her undeserved favor. So he's given her grace. He's prayed over her. He's served her. And now he's showing her undeserved favor. Now, I want to talk about who we represent in this story. This is our story. We represent Ruth in this story, okay? Ruth was desperate for a redeemer, and Boaz was Ruth's redeemer. We are desperate for a redeemer, and our redeemer is Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you, okay? Don't be afraid to come back to Bethlehem. Ruth had come back poor and dirty, had no husband, had a horrible reputation, and Boaz showed her grace, prays over her, serves her, and shows her undeserved favor. Jesus wants to do the same thing for you. He is longing for you to come back to Bethlehem. And when you arrive, he's going to show you grace, mercy, and undeserved favor. You know, Ruth was just a typical everyday woman. She didn't kill a giant. She didn't get thrown into a furnace of fire. She didn't build a boat and survive a flood. She was just an everyday woman who needed a redeemer just like us. She went to work, and she needed a redeemer just like us. So I want to encourage you, if you are stumbling back to Bethlehem right now, and you are broken, and you are hurt, and you are hopeless, Jesus is waiting with open arms for you. Let's go back to Bethlehem and have faith and trust God and know that he has a good plan for us. Amen? All right, I'm going to close in prayer, and then we will dismiss. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to pray over us, Lord, that you would open our eyes, Lord, that if we are in Moab, Lord, if we're living in the inner city of Moab, Lord, I would pray that we would open our eyes to that, Lord. I pray that you would guide us back to Bethlehem, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would guide us back to Bethlehem, Lord. And that we're in Moab, Lord, that you would minister to us, that you would show us the way to come back, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that when we come back to Bethlehem, that you greet us with open arms and that you show us your grace and your mercy and your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. Y'all are dismissed.